Welcome to this week's Rashi Shir, brought to you from the Bet Midrash of Mizrahi in Melbourne, Australia. So we're on Perak Hay Pasuk Aleph, which starts a new chapter, literally and metaphorically. And let me say that most Shirim this season we have covered one or two or three Pesukim. Tonight we're going to whiz through because Rashi sort of uh, takes a break for most of the rest of this chapter. But let's start with Pasuk Aleph, which says, Zeh Sefer Toledot Adam, Bayom Bara Elohim Adam, Bidmut Elohim Asa Oto. This is the Sefer, which I'll leave untranslated, of the generations or the generating of humanity. On the day that Hashem created Adam, Bidmut Elohim, in the image of God, Asa Oto, He created him. Okay, now, first of all, what is this referring to? And secondly, well, various other things that Rashi's going to address. So Rashi says on the word, Zeh Sefer Toldot Adam. Zu, he Sefirat Toldot Adam. So this is the Sefirat, the telling of the generations or the generating of humanity. And then he says, Umidrashe Agada Yesh Rabim. There are many Midrashic narratives, but as he said before, as he implies in these words, it's not for him. Uh, you, if you want to look up the Midrashim, he refers you to go and look them up, but that's not the pshat that he's giving you. Now, the first word is zu, this. What's this refer to? What is this? Well, it could be what went before, or it could be what's coming next. And it has to be what went before. Because it talks about when man, when Adam was created. And we're not, from henceforth, we're not learning about when Adam was created. It's what we've had up till now. So basically, everything up till now is referred to as zoo. All the stories that we've had up till now is zoo. But the big deal with this, Rashi, is his understanding of the word safer. So what does the word safer mean? What do most people think the word Sefer means? Book. book. Rashi doesn't say it means book. Okay, what's the root of Sefer? Samach Peresh, which means what? To tell. To tell. By the way, it also means to count, but that's uh, not what we're doing now. So Rashi understands it as Sefirat, as telling Toledot uh, Adam of the generation of man. Um, Rashi elsewhere, well in the Gemara actually, in Gittin, he makes clear that the word safer doesn't have to mean a book, it can mean telling. Now, why does he reject the idea that it refers to a book? And, and I think this is uh, regrettably simple. In other words, it's not very exciting, but I think the answer is very obvious, because there's no book. Because there's no book being referred to. And by the way, if there were a book, we would know about it. If there were a book that contained an extract from the Chumash, which itself is problematic, because if you write only part of the Chumash, you've written a Sefer Torah with words missing. So we generally don't do that. But there would be a book that we know of, and there's no book. There's no book. Rashi doesn't explain what this book could be. Uh, the Torah doesn't explain what this book could be, which is why I think, and, and basically this is what the Mizrahi says, that it's not a book. So if it's not a book, what is it? Answer, Sefira Toldot Odam. The telling of the generation of man. Sarah, are you looking something up? Are you thinking something? Um, in Shemot Perak Kaf Dalet, the Torah refers to Sefer Habrit, the book of the covenant. And there Rashi, well, it has to be a book because it refers to Moshe Rabbeinu writing the book of the covenant. So there it's a book, and then Rashi explains what's in that book. But here, nobody's writing any book. There's no other reference to this book. Hence, Rashi says, it's not a book. Do you want to challenge that, Sarah? No? Okay. Yes, yeah, Sefer Milchamot Hashem in Parashat Chukat, at the end of Parashat Chukat, a couple of weeks ago. Um, yes, that's not part of the Torah, by the way. That's a separate book, whatever it is. As in referring. Yes, there's some other book that the Moabites, that the people talked about, that was called Sefer Torah Milchamot Hashem. 
Um, I think, and I'm just sort of thinking this out loud, that this would be different because if this were a book, it would be part of the Torah, and it isn't. When you say Sefer Habrit, is that it's not the Torah? That's a separate book. Um, Rashi well, Rashi says it's part of the Torah. Actually, Rashi says it's from it's from Bereshit until that point, but we'll deal with that when we get to it in Perik Kaftalad of Shemot. Okay, <laughs> now okay, a lot later than that. Okay, <laughs> what does Rashi go on to say? Beyom Bara. Magid Shabarom, sorry, Shabayom Shenivra Holid. This teaches that on the day that he was created, he procreated. He had children. So we already know that this is, we, we already know what this is referring to. Rashi, Fonim Gomar and Sanhedrin, says that Cain and Hevel were born on the same day that Adam and Chava were created. After all, until the eating of the fruit, there wasn't the uh, uh, duration of pregnancy. It was all very quick and also very easy. Uh, and we're told Rashi's already made the point that Cain and Hevel were born in Gan Eden on the day of their creation. And Rashi says that's what's referring to here. So, Magid Shabiyom Shinivra Holid. It teaches, but on the very day that they were created, that he was created, he Holid. So, if you look at the Pasuk, you can see what's going on. He says, this is the Sefer, which means the telling of, Toldot Adam, the generating of man. In other words, man having children. When did that happen? On the day that Elohim created Adam. So on the day that Elohim created Adam, there was Toldot Adam. There were children to Adam. Now, why does Rashi have to find a reason for this, a significance for this Beyom? Because... If you, can re- if you read it naturally, you wouldn't necessarily have thought of that. This is the book, or this is the telling, of the Toldot Adam on the day that Hashem created Adam. This is what happened on the day that this happened. Why does Rashi feel a need to explain the word Piyom as teaching us something extra? And the answer is, because although what I just tried to postulate would be like a natural way of saying it, it would be a redundant way of saying it. If Biyom hadn't got a special meaning, then it doesn't need to be there. It simply doesn't need to be there. This Zer Sefer told Adam, Babara Elohim, when Hashem created Adam. Obviously, Hashem created Adam on the day that Hashem created Adam. That goes without saying. So it doesn't need to tell you that Hashem created Adam on the day that Hashem created Adam. That makes no sense. I mean, it's no sense for the Torah to say it. Therefore, the word Bayom is coming to teach you something else. And it's coming to teach you that Bayom Bara Elohim, there were already Toledot Adam. Okay, that's it. And on Pasuk Bet, there's no Rashi, but we'll just read through it. Zachar Nekeva Bara Am. Male and female, he created them, and he blessed them, and he called their name Adam on the day that he created them. Okay, and then it says, What's the blessing? He said, and be fruitful and multiplying, and Miluata Aretz. Um, very self-conscious. <laughs> 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 then, Pasuk Gimel. Not enough to be interviews over the years. So. Yeah, but I'm trying to concentrate on it. Vayechi Adam shaloshim umaat shana, and Adam lived for 130 years. Vayoled bimuto, and he, he begat. We talked about that word last time. It's a word, the word begat is only ever used in translating almost this chapter. But it means that he um, impregnated his wife. That's how Rashi explained it. Anyway, Vayolid bidmuto in his image, Ketzalmo, like his, uh, also in his image, Vayekra et Shemo Shet. And he called his name, the name of this son, Shet. Now, what we have now for basically the rest of this chapter is 10 generations starting with Adam, ending with Noach, uh, that's the 11th generation actually, um, and, and in every single case it's very formulaic, we're told how old each person was when they had the children, how many years, the name of the child, how many years more they lived, and then the Torah adds up the years before and the years after to get a total, and then you go on to the next generation. So Adam gives birth to Sheikh, that covers Pasuk Gimel, Dalad, and Hay. And then there's a Samach, a big Samach to tell you it's a new paragraph. And Pasuk Vav starts the story of Sheikh, how old he was when he had a child called Enosh. And then in Pasuk Zion, um, Enosh 
Um, sorry, how long Sheit lived after Enosh was born, in Pasuk Chet, the total years of Sheit, and then in Pasuk Tet, we start the story of Enosh, etc. And that's why this chapter um, hasn't got much Rashi on, because there's not much to comment on, because every three Pasukim is almost precisely the same formula. But let's see what Rashi says on Gimel, because he does have something to say there. And by the way, you can see, we talked about this last week, that we did learn about Adam and Chava having their third child, who was called Sheit. That was mentioned in Pasuk Kafhei. Um, and we said there, the way Rashi explained it, it was a continuation of what went before. And I made the point that at least most of the detail, although Ariyeh pointed out not all the details, in Kafhei are repeated here in Pasuk, in Perik Vav, sorry, Perik Hei Pasuk Gimel. And that's because it's serving two different purposes, as Rashi explained. Rashi explained that Perik Dalad Pasuk Kafhei is the a continuation of the story of Lemech that he's been st- explaining in the previous two Pesukim. Whereas here, in Perak Hei Pasuk Gimel, it's the story of the ten generations that led down to Noach. And so it, it's, it's pretty much the same information, but serving two quite different purposes. Now, uh, yes? How, when we say these years, um, is there any understanding of how long these years actually were? Well, um, I think we'll stick to the idea that they were 365 and a quarter, or just under a quarter days long. Yes. Is there any, are there any Roshonim who question that? I don't know. I haven't checked all the Roshonim. Probably not, to be honest. It's not the sort of thing the Roshonim would check. But we'll stick to Rashi, and he doesn't, he doesn't question it. Okay. Now, you'll remember from last week that in the Midrashic explanation that Rashi gave to Perit Dalla Pasuk Kafhei, basically, for those who weren't here, I'll, I'll say it again, Lemech, who is six generations after Cain, uh, was upset because his wives separated from him. And he went to Adam for help. And Adam said to the wives, you shouldn't separate from your husband. And the wife said, look who's talking. You've separated from your wife for 130 years. And Rashi brought that back in Perakatalakaf. Hey, how does Rashi know that Adam separated from his wife for 130 years? Because of what it says here. Because here in Hey Gimel, it says that Adam was 130 years old when he had a son called Shaped. And Rashi says there in Pasuk Gimel, Ad kan piresh min ha'isha. Until now, he had separated from his wife. So we saw there in the previous Rashi, I keep referring back to, that after Adam and Chava brought death into the world by eating the fruit, they thought they shouldn't have any more children because they will eventually die. Um, And then based on what the wives of Lemech said to Adam, he realized himself that that wasn't really the right policy. He should have children and Hashem will do whatever Hashem does in terms of the future. Now, why does Rashi tell us this? What's the alternative biological explanation for Adam and Chava not having children for 130 years? It's quite a simple explanation. Exactly. Maybe it just hadn't happened. Maybe they were waiting for a child, despite efforts to conceive. So Rashi says that's not the case. Why can't we assume that they had other children in between? Um, Shaitu was just the one that was... Uh, I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. Because of Peridala Pasakav. Hey, Vayeda Adam od et ishto. Uh, Adam knew, i.e. was intimate, again with his wife. Or Rashi says more on, on odd. Um, but that seems to suggest that they hadn't been up till now. Okay. So, but why don't we assume that they had had a normal um, family life and just not had any children? So the Mepharshim say that Rashi is telling you that couldn't be. It couldn't be that HaKadosh Baruch Hu would prevent Adam from having children for such a long time. After all, Adam's there to uh, populate the world. So it doesn't make sense that Adam would be prevented by HaKadosh Baruch Hu inter- intervention from having children. Um, and this actually compares to what Rashi is going to say on Pasuk Lamad Bet, which we might get to tonight. If we don't, remember for next week that what Rashi says on Pasuk Lamad Bet about the age at which Noah had children sheds light on Rashi's comment here in Pasuk Gimel. Okay, so I promised you that we would whiz through the Pesukim tonight because Rashi's next comment is on Pasuk Kaf Dalad. And I, I wondered if we should read for the sake of completeness through the, all the Pesukim in Perak Hay, and I thought not. 
this shear is complete in terms of looking at every Rashi, but if we have a whole section of Chumash without Rashi, I don't think we need to see it. I can, you can just do it for homework, okay? So what, uh, the, the reason I've said before is that every three psukim follows exactly the same formula. I said that and I stressed that because Rashi here on Pasuk Kaf Dalad, and by the way, again on Pasuk Kaf Chet, comments where the formula breaks down where there is an exception. So just one more time, every single time up till here, we have so-and-so was lived for a number of years and then he had children and they called the name so-and-so. And then after he had children, he lived longer. And by the way, they all, the Yolid Banimu Banot, they all had other children who aren't named. It's just the, the line that goes down to Noah that we're interested in. Um, because it's the same structure as it was for Adam and Shait. And so is it also that they weren't intimate until this, this person? Um, or the, the use of the same rules? Ooh, there's no such suggestion. There's no so such there suggestion. There before. There were children to... The others. To others. Um, oh, I see. There's no, I don't think anyone suggests that the one named child is necessarily the oldest child. So it could be. And we're told explicitly, for Yolid, Banim, Wubanat, they all had other boys and girls which I presume might have been before or after or both. Okay, and then they died. Um, uh, for instance, I'm just glancing at Pasuk Chet, which finished us off the story of Shet. Just look at this one. And all the days of Shet were 912 years, and then he died. Okay. Contrast that with the story of Hanoch. So Hanoch is a few generations later. Let's pick it up from Pasuk Kaf Aleph. And it says as follows. So Hanoch was 65 when he bore, when he begat Mutushalach. Pasuk Kaf Bet. Hanoch et ha-Elokim. Hanoch walked with Elokim. A new phrase it hasn't been said of anybody else. About whom else is it said? Anyone? Coming up a little bit later in the Chumash? Abraham. Nope. Abraham walked before God, but who walked with God? Noah. And that's considered a good thing. Okay? It's a good thing to walk with God. So that marks Hanoch out as a good guy. Anyway, He lived for 300 years after um, he begat Mutushalach, which was at the age of 65. So he's 365. And then in Pasuk Kaf Gimel, His total years were 365. Now, we haven't gone through each one of them, but that is far fewer than all the others in this epoch. All the others are in the 800s, 900s. And Hanoch is a mere strapling, a youngster, a spring chicken of 365. Then Pasuk Kaftalat. Vayithalech Hanoch et Elokim. Again we're told Hanoch walked with God. Ve'einenu. And he was not. Kilakach oto Elokim. Because God took him. So there's lots of differences. And I think we're used to Rashi noticing differences. These really, really stand out. First of all, we're told he walked with God. Secondly, we're told that he lived less than the others. That's not perhaps something so significant, but it's part of a pattern. Thirdly, in Kaftalad, we're told again he walked with God. And then we're told he was not, which is a little bit strange. And then we're told Hashem took him. All of those are unique to Hanukkah. Yes. So when it says Shalosh Me'or, Shana. This is when he walked with God at the age of 300. Uh, and it's also when he died, or when he, he was, when he was not. Yes. No, no, at the age of 300, in um, Kafbet. In Kafbet, well, that was... Um, it's a summary of all No, it, it, instead of saying he lived after he bought Matushalach, it says he walked with God after he bought Matushalach. So it sounds like for a whole 300 years. During that period, he was walking with God. Oh, he did start walking with God at the end of the year. No, I don't think so. No, I, I, if anything, he started walking with God after he had the son at age 65. Until 365. 
for the next 300 years. Ah, okay. Ah, sorry, 400 years. Okay. Okay. What does Rashi say on all this? So first of all, well, Rashi really takes all these things that I've identified and puts them together and explains something. Something very interesting. Pasuk Kavdalad Rashi, v'yitalech chanoch. Tzadik haya. He was a tzadik. The kal, well, some versions say kal, and some versions say v'kibel. We'll explain both of them. Bedato l'shuv l'hashia. So kal means it was easy in his mind to revert to wickedness or to turn to wickedness. If it's the word v'kabel, and it's either one or the other, it's not, it's not both, it's one or the other, it just depends on the, on the correct text. If it's v'kabel, it means he did, in, accepted in his mind to turn to wickedness. So either way, he's either liable to go wicked or plans to go wicked. L'ficha mihar ha-kodesh baruchu, Hashem therefore hastened v'silko and removed him Vahamito Kodem Zamano and brought about his death before his time, before his designated time. It's interesting because Rashi translate that in the case of Noah as um, um, something completely different, like walked before him. Uh, where Noah? Where? Because it says Anonoch walked, and Rashi translate walked as like the past tense, so it's both the future imperative. Like a rise walk about. No, that's like referring to, if you're looking at Rashi on uh, Vav Tet, that's actually quoting what Hashem said to Avraham. If you're looking at the same place. Is that what you're looking at? Vav Yud. Vav Yud. Uh, could be Vav Tet. Yeah, Vav Tet. So, that, so that's the. the, 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 the what? It talks about the grammar behind it. Well, yeah, even, even that about Avraham. Like, it's interesting to. To contrast how he talks about how he talks about Noach as as he, like Rashi brings in the comment even about Avram there, but he doesn't talk about Enoch in the same way. Why is that so? Well, basically, I mean, uh, we we I can say when we get to Parshas Noach, which is not very far away, it'll probably be uh, two weeks time. We'll actually get there. Maybe even maybe even next week. It's pretty exciting. Okay, we should have a party for finishing Bereshit. Um, uh, but he talks about the grammar of Hitalei. And you might ask why he doesn't talk about the grammar here, but the basic understanding is not different. Noach walked with God, that was because he was a good guy. Hanach, sorry, walked with God because he was a good guy. So we're told, Rashi's explained a lot already. He's explained, means he was a tzaddik. And he's also explained why he lived less time than other people, because Hashem took him before his time as a favor. Uh, because otherwise he was a tzaddik who would have gone the wrong way, and Hashem, it was better for him to leave this world as a tzaddik rather than wait around longer and not be a tzaddik. And notice, by the way, Rashi makes clear that he took, Hashem took him in his tzaddik phase and makes clear, tzaddik haya, he was a tzaddik, and he was either decided to or was likely to go bad, but Hashem took him before that happened. Where, uh, where else do we know the indication that he was going to go bad? Where, where, we don't. Rashi gets okay. this from Medrash. I don't think we can say it's... In, I don't think... I, I can't see a clue, or nor have I seen a clue in the text. Okay. Yes? Um, in regards to free will, this seems like he's just taking his free will completely away. Well, I suppose because that's what happens when you die. Say so again, sorry? So the question is, how is that free will if Hashem kills him before he becomes evil? I mean, obviously, I, I hear the question. I'm just sort of assuming. I thought we were going to ask a different question, by the way, which I will ask. I'm just assuming that free will is when you're alive. But obviously, when you cease to be alive, you cease to have free will. That doesn't mean that Hashem is denying you free will. That's just part of... Like Hashem removed him before he committed it. But that would apply, yes, he did, but that would apply to anyone whom Hashem kills, for instance, Mm -hmm. which happens from time to time. Anyone who Hashem kills loses their free will. Right, but it seems like Hashem wanted him to be known as as a righteous individual. Yeah, I I, I haven't got a brilliant answer, um, but I just think it's, it's different. When we normally talk about people taking away free will, which doesn't happen except in the case of Parah, basically, that... 
Hashem forces you to do A or forces you to do B. It's not quite the same as denying you the chance by ending your life. Yeah, I mean, that's the best I can do. Okay, I hear your question. I just don't think it's quite the classic taking away free will. I have a different question, if I may move on. I have a different question. Is that um, in the great euthanasia debate, the Torah position is that life is always precious and life is always worth preserving. Um, and there's a difference between passive euthanasia and active euthanasia, which we're not getting into now. But basically, we go on the principle that a, an extra minute of life is always valuable. But it occurs to me that, that I can think of two other examples where Rashi seems to contradict that. Um, Rashi says in the Kriyat Yamsuf that the worst of the Egyptians, um, uh, the better of the Egyptians, died straight away. They fell like lead. And the worst of the Egyptians suffered by bobbing up and down for a long time. And another example is in Pasha Balotra, in Kirata Taiva, when the people complained about lack of meat, and Hashem, set, Hashem sent them all the quails, and then when they ate the quails, they died. And Rashi there says, he actually brings two explanations, but one of them is um, the ones who were more righteous, relatively, died straight away, and the ones who were more wicked, they suffered for a whole month. Um, so it seems to me, there, including this one, there are three examples, and maybe there are more, where Rashi does not seem to say an extra minute of life is always better. Because Rashi says in, in two cases, people are punished by living longer, and Hanoch is rewarded by living shorter. So I don't have any more to say on that. It's just to bring to your attention. that. Uh, and I was thinking maybe the difference is this. Maybe the answer to what perhaps is a conundrum is this. When it comes to us or doctors... Um, deciding whether to try and strive for someone to have extra minutes of life, they have an obligation to do so. I'm I'm generalizing. There are some exceptions. But they have an obligation to do so. When it comes to a Kaddish Baruch Hu, he has his own Cheshbon, and he doesn't necessarily follow the same rules that we have to do when trying to carry out his mitzvot. That's what I would suggest. Yes? We also assume that because all the others besides um, Hanoch didn't walk with Hashem, that they were Hashem, Relatively, yes. Or maybe they weren't tzaddikim. So, so Hanach is a tzaddik. So maybe they were neutral. Don't forget, uh, I've said before, that everything that's happening now is under the shadow of the oncoming storm. Literally. Why is it an oncoming storm? Because it's a flood. Okay? What do you say? Which flood? Well, there we are. Good point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, we saw that last week. There was a mini flood and then a biggie flood. Um, but either, certainly under the shadow of the moral degradation which is going to lead to the flood. So maybe the rest were not so good, but they weren't Sadiqim. Hanach was a Sadiq. Okay, let's carry on with the Rashi. Can I add yes? My Chumash, I think it quotes, it has a base and a Rash. I think that's Rash Rabba. Yes. And then it quotes, also it says, after Bakal, it has in parentheses, Svarim Acher Bekilo. Yes. Uh, yeah. So the, either it was easy for him to go bad, yeah. or he'd actually decided to go bad, yeah. which is, it amounts to the same thing, it's just the second one's a little bit worse. Okay. Then, continues Rashi, V'zehu, Shashina hakatuv b'mitato. Now, Rashi has already explained, I think, two things. One, why he died early, and the one, why it says, chanoch. Now he's saying, why the verse, why the Pasuk is different Bemitato in his death from all the other generations. Because here, Lichtov, it writes, Ve'eneinu. He was not. What does it mean, Ve'eneinu? Ba'olam lemalaot shonotav. He was not in the world to fulfill his years. So, Ve'eneinu implies he was not where he should have been where you would have expected him to be. That's how Rashi understands Ve'eneinu. Not just he wasn't there, but he wasn't there when he should have been. In other words, the normal course of events would he have carried on living in this world, but he was not in this world because he was taken early. And then, continues Rashi, Kilakach oto. Uh, the Pasuk says, Ve'eneinu kilakach oto elokim. Rashi says, Kilakach oto lifnei zamano. So another Proof. We've got, he brought the Midrash to say that Hashem took him early. Then he finds proof for that in the word Ve'eneno and in Kilakach Oto, because he, Hashem had taken him, which means Lifnei Zamano, because everyone else who dies, they just die. But if Hashem takes him, it means he dies before 
He should have done. That's Hashem taking. By the way, um, Rashi is following one opinion here in the Midrash, that Hanoch did die. There's another opinion that, like Eliyahu, he went up to heaven alive, and that's another understanding of Kilakachoto, but it's not Rashi's. So Kilakachoto, Lifneizamano, and now he brings a parallel text from Yechezkel, when, Hashem, when Yechezkel is told about the death of his wife, and it says, Ki hinani lokeach mimacha et machmad einecha b'magefa. We won't get into this story because it's very sad, but Hashem says to him, I am taking from you the delight of your eyes in a plague. And lokach, or lokach, sorry, there, same root, refers to taking somebody before their time. Why is Good point. Why is Vitalecha not repeated? By the way, Rashi's commenting on the second, not the first. And the answer to that I saw is because the Torah wants to stress that it was, not only was he a tzaddik, that's the first one, but that was the cause of his premature death. That's the second one. So it's repeated in the very context of Ve'eneinu kilakach o'toyelokim to say that's the, that's the connection. Well spotted. Okay. So then Rashi doesn't say anything until Pasuk Kaf Chet, when we get to almost the end of this list of generations. Because we have somebody called Matushalach, who lived for a long time, 969 years. He gets the record. And then he has a son called Lemech. I would say no relation to the other Lemech. He is a relation. I think he's the seventh cousin, once three times removed or something. Um, but not very close. They probably didn't go to each other's permits. Okay, then it says, Pasuk Kaf Chet, Vayechi Lemech, Shtayim Ushmonim Shana, Lemech lived for 82 years, Umaad Shana, sorry, and 100, 182 years, Vayoled Ben. And then in Pasuk Kaf Tet, Vayikra Et Shimon Noach. So this is a big change, because in every other case, so-and-so lived so many years, and they had a son called so-and-so. Um, yeah, no, not they had a son called so-and-so, they just had a son, so-and-so. Whereas with this one, with Lemech, it says he had a son. And in the next Pasuk, it says he called him by the name. So there's something different about this Pasuk, where it says, Vayoled Ben. So Rashi, on the spot, says, Pasuk Kavchet, Vayolet Ben, Shemimenu Nivna Ha'olam. Ben as in Boner, as in build. Because from this one was built the world. How, did, how was from this one built the world? Any ideas? Okay, so the obvious explanation, and it may be correct, is that after the Mabul, he comes out the Teva, and he builds the world. Everyone came from Shem, isn't that another? No, everyone came from Shem, Cham, and Yafet. I remember you saying... Shet. Uh, no, something else. No? Okay, anyway. So, one explanation of what Rashi is referring to, the obvious one is that he rebuilt the world after the flood. But it may be that it's a reference to the benefit that Noah brought to the world before the flood, which we'll come across in the next verse. Okay, so why is Rashi saying this? Clearly because of the unique formulation that we have in this case that we haven't had in any of the other generations. The Yoled Ben. Now, every other child was a Ben because we're, everyone whom we're going down the line is male. And at no other occasion does it say the Yolid Ben, but it would have been equally appropriate in everyone, but it didn't, but it does here. So Rashi says it doesn't just mean he had a son. That doesn't need to be said. So it's Ben also with the implication of Boner to build. Okay. Rashi carries on in Kaftet, and he gets a little bit longer on this one. So let's see how he goes. Pasuk Kaftet. So referring to the father of Noach, who is Lemech, Vayikra et Shemo Noach, and he called his name Noach. Lamor saying, Ze yenachameinu mimaaseinu umi itzvon yadeinu min haadama asher erara Hashem. Now, we have to work carefully on these words, and we'll see how Rashi understands them. So he called his name Noach, saying, Ze, this one, Yenachameinu, let's leave Rashi to translate that, Mima Asenu, from our works, Ume Itzvon Yadeinu, 
and two things, note that, from the toil of our hands. Minha Adama, from the ground, Asher Erara Hashem, which Hashem has cursed. So we remember back in Ganeid, or rather on the way out of Ganeid, and Hashem cursed the ground, and he said to Adam, various things will happen when you try and plant things in the ground. Okay, what does Rashi say? First of all, Zeh Yenachameinu. What do you think Zeh Yenachameinu means? Okay. Anyone else think Yenachameinu is something to do with comforting? And Noach is something to do with comforting? Okay, lots of nods all there. <laughs> you fell straight into my little trap. So Rashi says it doesn't mean Yenach, it doesn't mean comfort. Yaniach mimenu et itzbon yadenu. Look what Rashi's done. Yaniach, it will cause to rest mimenu from us et itzbon yadenu, the toil of our hands. So the mem, Rashi's making clear, is not part of the root. It's not the root nachem. Uh, and we, I don't want to take to, to jump the gun, but at the end of this comment, Rashi goes back to the point about how it's not from the root nachem. Because the mem is like a second word, beginning with mem, mimenu. So noach is from the root, of the same root as yaniach. It will cause to rest mimenu from us, that's the yanachamenu, but the key part is the noach, yaniach. And what will it cause to rest? It's bon yadenu. The toil of our hands. Now, just to make it a little bit easier, what word has Rashi missed out at this point? Yes, he's missed out the word Masenu. Just remember that. But he's added, he said that Yenachamenu means Yaniach Mimenu et Itzbon Yodenu, the toil of our hands. Masenu has been missed out. Now, why is, he, why is this one, Noach, going to cause us to rest from the toil of our hands? So Rashi tells us. Ad shalom bar Noach, until Noach came, lo hayalahem keli macharisha. They didn't have plowing instruments. Vahu hechin lahem. And he prepared for them. He prepared plowing instruments. So today, I, I'm not much of a farmer, but you use like great big mechanized <laughs> plowing machines. Um, Still time rough. Uh, yes, thank you. And for the previous, I don't know, 3,000 years of human history, people used a plough device, which either they pulled themselves or the horse or the cow pulled. And this device made the holes in the uh, field in which you then planted the seed and dramatically eased the job of growing things. So before there were ploughs, the farmers would have to dig the trenches or dig the, the furrows entirely by themselves. So whoever invented the plough is going to bring a major benefit to humanity, or to put it in the words of the Pasuk, to relieve us from the itzbon yadenu, from the toil of our hands. So Noah is the one who invents the plough, and that is why, But then Rashi goes on to say, another thing, the earth was bringing out, remember these? Thorns and thistles. When you sow wheat, what do you get out? Thorns and thistles. Now, we talked about this right back in, in Perak Gimel. They were edible thorns and thistles, so that's how they got food, but it wasn't the optimal wheat which was planted. Why? harishon, from the play, sorry, from the curse of Adam harishon. Noach nacha, and in the days of Noach it stopped. It rested. The plague, the curse, rested, and instead of getting planting wheat and getting thorns and thistles, from the time of Noach they planted wheat and got wheat. And, by the way, Noah invented the plough, so it made it much easier for them to plant wheat. So, by the way, that's what I was alluding to when I said there's two ways of understanding Rashi on Kafchet, when he says, which either means Noah rebuilt the world after the flood, or before the flood, what Noah brought to the world was like building the world. The difference between building and rebuilding. Um, it continues Rashi. Uh, no, I'll pause for a moment before we get to that. Now, why, which word in the Pasuk 
refers to the removal of the curse of the ground. Mimaseinu. I mean, I set you up for it because I said Rashi hadn't mentioned that. Rashi skipped over that when he said Itzvon Yodenu. That refers to what thing did Noach do? The removing the toil of our hands, inventing the plow, and also easing us from Maaseinu from our actions. That was the curse is removed in his day, not by him, but just in his day, which also answers another question, by the way. When did he get the name Noah? When do you think he gets the name Noah? Okay, so it's, there's two possibilities. We could say, as we do say with other people, they're named later on as a reflection of what they did. But we don't normally say that. The, the simple idea, the simple understanding is he's named by his father, Lemeth, when he's born. Or maybe, you know, a few days later when you... you get round to registering the birth. He named his father at birth. Now, what's the problem with that? What? Why is there a problem naming him Noah, given that we know why he's called Noah? Yeah, but, so, but when's he going to invent the plough? Once he's been born. When? <laughs> at what age? Come on. Babyhood? Or a little bit older? A bit older. A bit older. So how can he name him Noah because he say he invents the plough at birth. So Lemech must be a prophet? Okay, so Ivan Lemech is a prophet. That's possible. That's possible. But, but it doesn't, He's got it, high expectations. But it doesn't say he walked with Hashem, though. No, okay, so maybe he had some sort of Ruach HaKodesh. There are other people who name their children some sort of Ruach HaKodesh. You could say that. Or you could say we don't need that. Rashi's explained it beautifully. Oh. Ah, inventing the plow, that happened later. But as soon as Noah's born, what happens? The curse. The curse is lifted. And that's why Lemach immediately names him Noah. And then the last thing that Rashi has to say here is... Um, but that means that... Um, this is, I just got a friend of his father's name. Lemach. Lemach. That means that, like, he, said, he thought it was, like, Noah who had taken the plague off. Like, he thought, like, he was a miracle baby. Um, it could be. But every, every parent thinks it's their baby who's the most wonderful in the world. Um, driving my job. Um, but it could be that Noah, Noah's birth um, coincides with the move of the plague. So he gives them that name to celebrate what's happened. That's, I think you know, people do give names to children to celebrate what's happening at that time. Now, Rashi finishes off with the comments, V'zehu yenachameinu yaniach mimenu. Now, I, it just occurs to me, Rashi really echoes himself. He said it at the beginning, and he's saying it again. I'm not sure why. That bit I'd have to uh, research even further. But it, he, he certainly sort of wraps it up, but that's not really good enough to say why he actually says the same words over again. But that's what he's doing. Zehu yaniach mimenu. And then he says, for all those of you who thought it's related to Menachem with the men being part of the root, lo tifrashehu kach, if you don't explain it as I have explained it, that Yenachamenu is Yaniach Mimenu, and the Noach relates to Yaniach and not to the Mem, if you didn't realize what I've just said, he didn't explain it like that, Ein Tam Haloshan Nofel Al Hashem. The language or the use of the language does not work with this name. And you'd have to call his name Menachem. And it's quite simple. We don't have to get into very complicated grammar here. If you think it comes from the root Nachem, which most of you did when, when I sort of set you up for failure there. If you think it comes from the root Nachem, the Mem must be part of the name. So he must call, the father must call the child Menachem or, or Nachum maybe, which is a variant on that. But he can't use the name Noach. Because if the mem is part of the three-letter root, you can't give your child the name, which is two out of the three letters. So since he gives him the name Noach, it must be based on the root nunchet. In other words, the word yaniach. And then yinachamenu is, is the combination of two separate words. One yaniach, which gives the name Noach, and one mimenu. So if you think Noach is related to Menachem, it isn't. Because if it were related to Menachem, it would be the name Menachem. But it isn't, it's the name Noach. What about where Ayinachem and Nechamzi come into it? 
that is not related to the name Noach. He's not going to Rashi. Okay? You want to say that when Hashem says uh, Nihamti and then he saves Noach, but they're related? Not according to Rashi. Okay. okay. Then we come on to Pasuk um, Lamad Bet. Uh, sorry, we've jumped over Lamad about Lemech's later life and Lamad Aleph, Lemech's total years. And now we go concentrate from now on on Noach. And we read in Lamad Bet, Vayhi Noach ben Chamesh me'ot shana, Vayolid Noach et Shem et Cham ve'et Yafet. Noach was 500 years, and Noach begat Shem and Cham and Yafet. Anything that needs commenting on? Seems to be their triplets. Not necessarily. He begat this one, and this one, and this one. He had children, this one, and this one, and this one. Yeah, what? he's pretty, pretty old when he had kids. Ah, that's the point. He's pretty old when he has kids. Okay, that's yes. what Rashi says. Is that what perhaps you were... No, no, sorry, sorry to even suggest that you were reading ahead. Oh, no, that I, was the source I, I, of your wisdom. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> Rashi is bothered by the fact that, to quote Josh, he was pretty old when he had kids. Now, why, is, why do I say pretty old? Not just because 500 is old, but it's much older than everybody else. And that's why it's an exception, and that's why it needs explaining. So Rashi says, Ben Chamesh Me'at Shana, Amar Rabbi Yudan. So he quotes it in the name of Rabbi Yudan. I've got a safer at home which tries to prove, I'm sure it does prove, every time when Rashi quotes something in the name of a Tana or an Amora, there's a very special reason for it. And if you understand everything that that Tana or Amora said elsewhere in the entire Gemara, you'll understand why. But um, I haven't worked it all through. Anyway, so Amar Rabbi Yudin. Ma tam kol hadorot hadorot holidu lemea shana vzeh lachamesh meot. What is the reason that all the other generations had children at roughly, I did the word, a hundred years, and this one at five hundred years? So, Amar Hakadosh Baruch Hu, Hashem said, Im rashayim heim yaavdu b'mayim. If these children turn out to be wicked. And I have to add in, if he had children earlier, the flood's going to come um, when he's 620 years old. And there's reasons why the flood's going to come then. So basically what Rashi is saying is Hashem works out that if he has children much earlier than when he does, by the time the flood comes, there's going to be a lot of children. Not just three, but lots more and probably their descendants as well. So if Noah has lots of children at an earlier age and they turn out to be wicked, and they might because they have free will, by the way, then they'll have to be destroyed in the flood. And that'll be bad for this tzaddik. Hashem doesn't want to create uh, grief for this tzaddik. But conversely, and if they are righteous... I will labor him, I will uh, give him extra work, because he'll have to make lots of tevot, lots of arks. I'll come back to that in just a moment. So what did Hashem do? He covered up, he he sealed the fountain. And he didn't give birth until 500 years. In other words, Hashem made him infertile for that period until he was 500 years old and I said by the way when we talked about Adam having his son at the age of 130 and Rashi has to point out that the only explanation for that is Adam separated from his wife it can't be that Hashem didn't let him have children because Hashem lets everyone have children unless there's a special reason and Rashi here in Lamed Bet has to explain the special reason why Noah was prevented from having children until that time now there's, there's more to say, but I think we've just got time to explore the following. If he had children before 500, and there'll be lots of them, and grandchildren, Kananahara, and great-grandchildren, and they're Sadiqim, Adam, oh, sorry, Noah will need to build lots of tevot, lots of arks. Why? For all the descendants. Is that it? Is that it? No, there's something very clever here. Because if you look in Rashi on Perak Yud Chet, Pasuk Kaf Dalad, 
The story is, Hashem says to uh, Avraham, he's going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah and the neighboring cities. And Avraham starts to bargain with him. And Avraham says in Kaftalat, Maybe there'll be 50 people, maybe 50 sadikim in the city. Will you uh, destroy, will you not forgive the place for the sake of the 50 sadikim? What's the significance of 50? Rashi on Kaftalat says, 50 sadikim for the five cities. Asara sadikim lakol krach for krach. That means 10 sadikim for each city. Because, says Rashi, we learn that 10 sadikim saves a city. And if you look further, uh, Abraham goes down to 10. Um, he goes 50, 45, 40, 30, 20, 10. And Rashi says each going down in 10 is saving one less city. And if you look in Lamad Bet of that same parak, Yudchet Lamad Bet, his last go is Ulayim Tsun Sham Asara. Maybe he'll find ten. And Rashi's already explained that means he'll save one city. And he didn't ask for any less than ten, because Abraham knows that ten is the minimum. Omar, he said, Dor Hamabul Hayashmona. In the generation of the flood there were eight. Noah, Ubanav, Unashehem. Noah and his three sons, and between the, and the four of them each had a wife. So that makes eight. Below Hetzilo Al Doram. And they did not save their generation. So had Noah had more children who would have been Sadiqim, why would he have needed all the extra Tevot? For all the people... Now, at this point you have to say, if there had been more Sadiqim, would he have saved the whole world? No. Because we know from Saddam that ten people saves a city. So if Noah had had, Kanainahara, lots of children and grandchildren, then maybe they'd have saved a few cities, but they'd have still lost the world. Which is why there would have still been a Mabul, but Noah would have needed lots more Tevot. Which, by the way, I only learned this today, and I thought this is brilliant, because it answers a question I've always had. So how many children is he going to have? All right, maybe lots. But how big was the one Teva that he built? Huge. Uh, and it was big enough to fit how many animals? either two or seven of every single species of animal. So how many extra rooms would you have needed if he'd had children and grandchildren? Right? A few. A few rooms. It might have been like a, like a little 10% bigger. But here, Rashi says, he would have needed Tevot Harbeh. Lots more Tevot. And that only makes sense based on what I've just shown you. That if he'd had more children and grandchildren who were Sadiqim, they would have saved not just his family but he would have saved at least some of the cities. Not the world, and that's why I'm showing you that Rashi says 10 saves a city, it doesn't save more than that. So there would have still been a flood, but there would have, Noah would have had to save many more people. Okay, we will stop there. We're in the middle of Rashi on Lamabet. Imir Hashem will start again next week.